0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, we live in a world of rivalries. Um, it's political season, so it's Democrats versus Republicans. Um, uh, it's people who prefer Pepsi and those who prefer Coke. Um, we have rivalries between iPhone and Android. Um, we have sports rivalries like Cal or Stanford, um, Niners or Raiders, and I've given, I've given Raider fans such grief over the years, and now it's, I'm taking it back, okay? I... <laughs> It comes in cycles. Um, another one, Giants versus some team from Southern California that wears blue who will remain nameless right now. Um, but yeah, rivalries are fun. It kind of adds to the enjoyment of the whole thing. You get your team, you're rooting for it, all of that stuff. But rivalries can also be divisive. Um, we can find things that divide us and emphasize that. And that even happens, by the way, in the church. Um, churches can be divided over things. And and when you think about it, we are so different. We are so diverse. We have so many different backgrounds and cultures and understandings and traditions and beliefs and all of that stuff. There is tremendous potential for us to be divided. And that's why I believe Paul, so much of the New Testament is written letters to churches stressing this idea of being together, being one, being unified. And, And all of these uh, commands that we're given, these one another's, if you will, um, love one another, encourage one another, um, pray for one another, all of these different commands, because the church is at its best when it is united. The church is at its best when it is together. And all too often throughout church history, that's not been the case. Even my own experience, my, my second pastoral, Uh, ministry position was at a church that had just gone through a split. Actually, it was two years later. The church had just split in half and one half left that and went down the street and started a whole nother church on their own. And, um, And I got there like two years later, there was a new senior pastor and through him, I got connected there. And it was two years after that split and there was still hurt and anger and bitterness. That is not God's design for his church. His design, his intent for his church was that we would be together. Now that is not always easy, but central to this idea of being the church is that you be united, that we be together, that it literally is true that we are better together. And what we're going to look at today is what that looks like. So we're actually going to be in Ephesians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church in a city called Ephesus, if you're not familiar with it. And we're actually going to kind of um, back up a little bit from where we left off last week. We were in chapter two last week, and part of the thing you need to understand is this was actually a letter written to a group of people, and so it didn't have the chapters and verses, it didn't have all those little numbers and all those divisions that we have now in our modern Bible. It was really just a letter, and so a, a chapter changes place, you know, uh, in in our Bible, but really it's just a continuation of a thought that was expressed where we left off last week. So we're going to back up a little bit. We're going to go in chapter two, beginning in verse 14. This is what Paul wrote, and then we're going to go into chapter three, which is where we're going to focus today. So this is what he wrote. For he himself, meaning Christ, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of, to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is... That through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make known to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages has been in past ages past has been kept hidden in God who created all things and here's the key line his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our lord in him and through faith in him we may approach god with freedom and confidence I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, again, wrote a lot there. But the key thing is this that his intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, the multiplied, the multifaceted, multiple wisdom of God would be made known. It's like Paul is saying of God, God is looking and pointing to the church and saying, do you see her? Do you see how beautiful she is? Do you see this creation of mine? And it's almost like, it's almost like a, like a young guy who's, who, who has his first girlfriend, you know, and he's just so in love, and she's so beautiful, and he's just showing her off and saying, look at how beautiful she is. Look at how beautiful. Isn't she gorgeous? Isn't she gorgeous? And everybody around is looking and going, I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's maybe like if, if you've been hurt by the church or, or burned by church or been disappointed in the church for some time in your life, that you're looking at the church, and you're reading these words of Paul, and you're saying, I don't see it. I mean, this... This is the wisdom of God, this group of people, this this church. You you say this beautiful church. This is the wisdom of God. God, couldn't couldn't you come up with something better than this? I just don't see it. But what it is is that the church is that incredible wisdom of God because the church is for real people, flawed people, faulty people, frail people, See, that's the wisdom of God. This is the power of his amazing grace. That he takes these faulty, messed up, flawed people and he makes something beautiful out of it. That is incredibly, incredibly wise. And it's God's desire for his church that we would be together, that we would be one, that we would be examples of his grace. And because it is for flawed, faulty people, it is going to be made up with flawed, faulty people, just like you and just like me. But he says, in that is the manifold wisdom of God. The church is a big deal And we've been looking at that each week. In the week one, we talked about this idea that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you become a part of something bigger than yourself. The church, and the key phrase, a little two-word phrase he uses throughout that first section is in Christ. It is because we are in Christ that we have a new identity, we have a new community, we have a new purpose about our lives. And it's all in Christ. And then week two, we looked at another two-word phrase, and that phrase was so that, that we are in Christ as his body. Now, so that we would live with confidence and boldness in our faith and in our ministry. And then last week, we looked at another two-word phrase, but God. And it was the reminder that it's not something that we've done on ourselves because we can't do it on our own. It's what God has done for us. We were dead, but God made us alive. And now today, we're going to look at another two-word phrase. And the two-word phrase is together with. Okay, or together in or together of. And you'll see it, it's all found actually in verse six in this uh, section that we read together. Chapter three, verse six. And, and it comes from a little, a little three-letter prefix in the Greek language. Because our, our New Testament was written originally in the Greek language. And that little three-word prefix is, is there in all three of these words. And the prefix is just sin, not S-I-N, but S-Y-N. And we have it in our English word synergy, when, when a team works together, there is a synergy. There's energy that is multiplied because of people working together on a team. There's a synergy about that. Or, or a syndicate. A syndicate is a group of people gathered together for a purpose and they become much more effective working together. Um, sometimes the, the, the prefix is S-Y-M, like sympathy, to, to feel together with somebody else. Or symphony, when a group of uh, uh, instrumentalists come together and play music together, okay? And it's that little, that little three-word, three-letter uh, prefix, it all has to do with together. And the way that it works itself out here and in verse six is he talks about that we are heirs together with, we are members together of, and we are sharers together in. And we're going to take apart each one of those because what he's saying is that this whole idea of being together, that's a huge part of what it means to be the church, that we are better Together, and the reasons are this: because together we can provide a sense of belonging. That's where he starts. He says, "This mystery is that the gospel to the gen- this, is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel." Now he talks about this idea of being heirs, and it's not so much the emphasis on the inheritance. The emphasis here is then that you're in family, that you're a part of a family, you belong in Christ because you belong. And that is one of the deepest cries of the human heart, that need for belonging. We all want to feel like we belong. There's, there's something about being wanted. There's something about being chosen. There's something about belonging. Uh, and it goes all the way back. Maybe you can remember as a kid, you know, in, in elementary school at recess, when they picked, up te- picked teams for kickball, you know, and everybody got selected, and all, the, and all the really good players got picked first, and then the mediocre players were kind of in the middle, and the, then the, the, the worst players were to the end, you know, and sometimes we you know, it come down to picking the teams, and I said, well, okay, well, I'll take him if you'll take him, and it was like, okay, we hurt two people's feelings, all right, and, and I remember this because um, when I was in, in, I wasn't the star athlete, I wasn't like the number one pick, but I always was in the, like, the top third and, and so, you know, I felt pretty good because I contributed to the team. I could kick that ball pretty good. You know, I know how to play the game. And, um, and then, and then between fourth and fifth grade, my family moved across town, and now I was the new kid at a new school. And when it came time the first day to pick, pick teams, you know, all the, everybody that everybody knew who was the good players, they all got picked in the first third, and then the medium players, they all got picked. And it came down to the very end, and I was the last kid picked. Scarred for life. <laughs> to this day, it remembers. It sticks in my brain. That feeling of being the last kid—it felt horrible. None of us want to be the last kid because you, you feel like you don't really belong. One of our heart, when the deepest cries of our heart—one of the deepest cries of our hearts—is this idea of belonging, and that's why Paul made such an emphasis on it. We read about this last week. He said, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Now, I think he wrote that not just for the Gentile believers in that church. I think he wrote just as much for the Jewish believers that were in that church as well, because he wanted to understand everybody has equal footing in Christ. When it comes to the cross, the ground at at the cross is level. Equal footing, equal status. Everybody belongs the same amount the same way. And it's our job as the church to provide that sense of belonging for people. And if you want to know what that looks like, you look at the life and ministry of Jesus. There were no boundaries for him. There were no people who were out of bounds. There were other people that wouldn't be associated, but Jesus went and associated with them. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners and and Samaritans and prostitutes and all these people that everybody else shunned he welcomed. And and people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. He had this way of making everybody feel welcome and included. And he has given that now to us. And then he left us with this. He said, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, Bible study 101. When God repeats himself, he wants you to pay attention. (laughs) And when he repeats himself twice, back to back to back, three times he says something, that's like, okay, this is at the top of the list of stuff to pay attention to, okay? This is what really, really matters. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you go to church on Sunday morning, if you study your Bible every day, if you have a, no, if you love one another. So that's at the top of the priority list. See, that's our calling. That's our job as a church. That's why it's so important. Now, the basis for our unity is love. And I'm just going to tell you up front, love is hard work. Love is not easy. Love is difficult. Love means forgiving. Love means letting go. Love means overlooking little things. Love means caring more about the person than about the stuff. And that is hard. I, I, I do... A, couples counseling from time to time, married couples. And and every once in a while, someone will say, love shouldn't be this hard. And I said, where did you get that idea? (laughs) Love is hard. It is hard to love. And and let me just say that, because as as your pastor, when a church experiences the kinds of things that we are experiencing together, when, when, when God is moving and people are getting baptized and people are coming to faith and people are taking new steps of faith and getting involved in mean, when that is happening, when the dynamic of the church is thriving and growing, Satan hates that. And the one thing that the enemy uses is little digs, little division. And what'll happen, and, and you'll find this, you will, you will probably experience this, that things that used to not bother you all of a sudden bother you a whole lot. And those little idiosyncrasies about someone else in your church family that you could overlook before, all of a sudden it gets to you. And you start carrying this stuff, and it starts building inside of you. And that's just the work of the enemy. He would do everything he could to keep a church from thriving. And he does it by just these little things things that would divide us. It is God's intent that his church be together and be united. And that our love for one another shouldn't be just what we talk about. It's the way that we live. It's the way that we treat each other. When, when we were first married... Uh, there was kind of a, there was a group of young adults, young marrieds that uh, we just kind of got together. We did a lot of things together. We just kind of, this, this group of us. And, um, you know, sometimes just spur the moment kind of things where someone would say, hey, what are you guys doing tonight? Nah, we don't have any plans. Hey, why don't you come on over? Or, hey, there's a group of us. We're going to go to a movie or whatever it would be. And so we would do that kind of stuff all the time. And there was one particular occasion um where um, there was a dinner party being planned and we had not been invited to this particular event, but it was with all these people that we always hung out with. And so another couple who was invited said, oh, I'm sure you're invited too. It's just, you know, it's, everybody's just getting together. Why don't you just come with us? So we got there and when we got there, we discovered, no, we had definitely not been invited. It was actually a dinner party with specific place settings and there was only so many seats at the table. Yeah, a little awkward. <laughs> And and, and they were very gracious, you know, and they were very accommodating. They set another table for us and there was plenty of food and everything. But the whole evening, we just knew that we really didn't belong here. That should never happen in the church of Jesus Christ. No one should ever be made to feel like they don't really belong. And I wonder sometimes how in subtle ways we might convey that wrong message. It becomes so important for us as a church family to be so inclusive, to be so welcoming, to make everybody feel. We heard that in many testimonies in the baptisms this weekend, how they just felt welcome. That's what we need to strive for as a church because a church is a place where everyone should feel welcome. Everyone should feel like this, Paul wrote, in him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. The church ought to be a place where everyone can come and sense that freedom because we have created that environment. We're better together when we provide a sense of belonging. We're better together when we carry out God's work. That's the second thing. He goes on. He says, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body. Now, Paul uses that imagery of body a lot when he talks about the church. Most often, he talks about it in terms of ministry and in terms of serving. He talks about the church as being one body made up with many members, and everybody has a part to contribute. And the idea behind it is this. There is so much more that we can do and accomplish together than any of us can do on our own. The dollar club is one example of that for us around here. My one dollar isn't going to make one bit of difference in somebody's life. But $900 gathered together, that can be huge for somebody. See, it's a perfect example that we all together can do so much more than any of us can do on our own. Last month, we held a walk for water. Our goal was to get 200 walkers to raise enough money to to drill four new wells in Uganda, in needy villages in Uganda. And 200 walkers showed up for the walk for water and got sponsors. And we not only raised enough for four wells, we had raised enough for five wells in Uganda that are going to be drilled this year. Now, yeah, that's a cool thing. I can't afford one well on my own. (laughs) But together, we can do that. See, that's the power of the church. The end of this month, we're going to do a trunk or treat. It is something that we do in our community. We've done it for six years now. And, and it's a, it's a it's just an event, and 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 it's something to just love on and be a part of our community. And we do it in Benicia, we're doing in Vallejo again this year. We did it in Fairfield last year. Um, we just it's a way to be in our community, and there's no agenda to it. There's no we don't hand out tracks, we don't sing Christian music. We just have a community event, a good, safe, fun event for families in our community, and that's the whole idea behind it. And it comes from a number of years ago. Um, I was at a pastors' conference. And one of the speakers, speaking to pastors, asked us this question. He said, here's the question I want to ask you. If your church, for some reason, ceased to exist tomorrow, would anybody care? If your church ceased to exist tomorrow, would it make any kind of a difference in your community? Would you be missed at all? And that question has is, is kind of probed us and pushed us to be out in the community. The first time we did a trunk or treat, we did it up here on our own parking lot. The next year thanks to the auspices of Gary, uh, Pastor Larry, we went out in the community. And now we do it in two communities every year. Now, I can't do that on my own. Our pastoral staff even cannot do that on our own. That takes everybody, everybody, bringing candy, decorating trunks. And I know some of you, you don't do Halloween. Listen, I don't do Halloween, but I do trunk or treat. okay? It takes, it takes all of us involved in this, and it's just a way of loving on our community and I'm so grateful to be a part of and to pastor at a church that is so giving and so generous and so community involved because it's what God has called us to do. And it doesn't just happen what we do out there. It happens even what we do when we gather together on the weekend. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. There is something about twos and threes gathering together in Jesus' name where his presence is, is, is multiplied. There's something about the body coming together in which God's presence is more readily felt and sent and experienced. And again, the, the, the baptisms we had this weekend, so many of them um, last night and, and at the nine o'clock the service this morning, so many of them said, you know, I came for the first time through this door and it felt like home. And it was just a sense of God's presence among us. It's the body gathered together. It's much more powerful, and that's why your presence and your involvement is so vital to the health and the unity of the church. You matter. You belong. You have a part. God has entrusted that work to us. And that's how Paul saw his own ministry. He said, although I am the less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this Mystery. Now, that word administration has to do with responsibility. It has to do with stewardship. What he's saying is that God has entrusted this message to me, and I have now passed it on to you, and now it is entrusted to you. And for the last 2,000 years, that, is, that entrustment has been passed on from church to church to church to church, to generation to generation, and now it's our turn. We've been entrusted with this ministry. And what we do with that is vitally important. Together, we accomplish so much more. Together, we do the work of God in our world. And the last one is that together, we can support those who are struggling. Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now that promise that he's talking about, that is the totality of the gospel message, that Jesus Christ has come and loved us unconditionally. He gave us life on a cross so that we could experience this new life and reconciliation with God and reconciliation with those around us that the the totality of the gospel is that Christ has so, so shown his unconditional love to us by his grace and his work on the cross. And the promise that comes with that is he will never leave us and never forsake us. The problem is that in this world, we experience hardship. We experience difficulty. We experience hurt. We go through times of struggle. And when we go through those, we start to doubt and we start to question. God, are you really there? Have you forgotten me? It's hard to believe you're with me in the middle of all this. And that's where the church shines. Because that's where the church comes alongside. That's where the church becomes the embodiment of Christ to one another. And helps each other through all of those difficulties. It's filled with difficulty. So we all need those times when someone will come alongside. It's what Paul's writing. He writes this letter from prison. He's in jail. And he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. He's saying, I, I, I'm in prison, but it's not just, it's, it's, it's for you. It's for you. And I wonder if, if, if Paul isn't in part writing this letter for his own self as well to remember that though I am removed from these churches that I was a part of, they're still a part of me, and I am still a part of them. We all need that from time to time. I went through a time of, of real serious clinical depression a number of years ago now, probably 10, 11 years ago, and just at my lowest, lowest point, um, I had a couple of people who reached out to me. One of them is a guy, a friend of mine, has a pilot's license, And he called me up one day and he says, hey, let's go flying. And when you're struggling with depression, there's something about getting up above the clouds and up above everyday life. And we just flew up to Tahoe for lunch. That was pretty cool. (laughs) I'd never done anything like that before. And, and, And we didn't talk about my illness. We didn't talk about the church. We didn't talk about ministry. We didn't really much talk about anything. I was just there with him another friend reached out to me. He says, hey, I'm going, I'm going skeet shooting. Why don't you come with me? Let's shoot some shotguns. When you were in depression, there was something about firing a gun. <laughs> and I say that carefully, okay, because I don't want anybody, I don't have any guns. You don't have to come confiscate them from me, okay? I'm not going to go do anything. I'm just saying, there's something, it wasn't, and it wasn't, we didn't talk about anything. We just hung out And sometimes when someone you know and someone you love is going through a difficult time, they tend to pull back and they will tend to withdraw. You will tend to pull back and you will tend to withdraw. And and when you know someone who is going through that, it's so awkward and you don't know what to say, and so you're going to be hesitant to reach out to them. I'm going to tell you, you don't have to say anything. You just have to be there. Because just your presence, your presence is a reminder they're not alone. Your presence is in some way, is the embodiment of Jesus Christ to them in that moment. And you are the reminder that God has not left them either. You don't have to have the answers. You just need to be there. And I think that's what Paul had in mind when he wrote these words. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. I think what he's saying there is I know I'm far away from you and I know there's nothing you can do to really help my situation right now, but just knowing that you are there and you are a part of me and I'm a part of you and that's enough. See, that's that's the beauty of this idea of being together. You don't even have to be in the same place to still be together in Christ. And I believe it is God's desire for His church that to be the church, we would be together. Would you bow your heads with me? I know church is perfect. This church is not perfect. It is made up of flawed, faulty, frail people just like you and just like me. But in that is the beautiful manifold wisdom of God that his grace reaches to each of us with our struggles, with our failures, with our mistakes. And he takes this group of messed up people and he does something beautiful in their midst. And that's God's design for his church. And you might be here today, and and maybe you're saying, yeah, I have a relationship with God, but I prefer to stay on the fringes of the church. I don't want to get too involved. I don't want to get too committed. I don't want to be held too accountable. It's just me and God. What I wanted you to hear today is that's not an option. It really isn't. What Christ did on the cross was not just to reestablish your relationship with him and redeem that relationship. It was meant to change your relationships with one another. And you only experience that in community. So maybe for you today, this is the challenge. To take a step into community. And it might be joining a community group. It might be getting involved on a ministry team. It might be taking one new step forward to be a part of what God's doing in this world and instead of standing on the sidelines and watching from the fringes getting engaged and if that's speaking to you today and and you're one of those on the fringe kind of people and you kind of prefer it that way I'm going to challenge you to take a new step of faith and to move into community because a big big part of being the church is being together and if you're here today and you're willing to say, you know what, I'm going to take that step in a greater way. I'm going to step into community. I'm going to be a part of a community group. I'm going to be part of a Northgate U class. I'm going to be join a ministry team. I'm going to somehow, I'm going to engage in what God is doing in this church because this is where he's put me. And if you're willing to make that known, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand and hold it up so I can see you and acknowledge you. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you're here and for you the first step is getting connected with God God in his grace sent his one and only son who went to a cross and gave his life for you so that you could be reconciled you could be made right with God you could enter into a relationship with him and it's not based on what you've done or how good you've been or how bad you've been it's totally on what he's done for you and for you that first step of faith is just simply acknowledging your need and quit trying to do it on your own and just saying, God, would you, because of what you did on the cross, would you forgive me? Would you reestablish that relationship with me, with you? I'm giving up. I'm putting my faith and trust in you. And for you, it's a first step of faith. Same thing. Would you do the same thing? Just raise your hand hold it up so I can see you and acknowledge you. Because I want to pray with you and for you as so we close. First step of faith. Yeah. So Lord, here we are, frail, faulty, flawed people, all of us in need of your grace. But you've brought us together in this moment, in this place, to be united with you and to be united with one another. And I pray first off for those who raised a hand saying, I'm going to engage, I'm going to take that new step and get more into community. That's what I need in my life right now in that decision, Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength to follow through and take that next step. And for those who raise their hand saying, this is the first step for me, Lord, in this moment, their simple prayer is, Lord, here I am with my faults, with my sin. I need your forgiveness. Would you cover me with your grace? Would you make me right with you? I'm putting my trust in you, in Jesus' name. So take us all, Lord, where we're at, and move us closer to you closer to each other, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.